Luke chapter 15. So last Sunday, one of the things we learned was that the publicans and sinners were drawn unto Jesus. Welcome to the Grace and Mercy Hour, brought to you by Rocky Mount Church in Arab, Alabama. Rocky Mount Church is a primitive Baptist congregation, a family-integrated church that seeks to worship God in spirit and in truth, a church that seeks to maintain the simplicity of New Testament worship. Thank you for tuning in. Please stay tuned at the end of the broadcast for contact information, and may the Lord bless our time together today. Luke chapter 15. So last Sunday we, we saw how Jesus presents these, these parables and contrasting the attitudes of the Pharisees and scribes versus the attitudes of the publicans and sinners. And we didn't get very far into those parables. We spent a good bit of time simply describing who the Pharisees and scribes were and what their attitude was and then trying to describe how the publicans and sinners reacted to Jesus, what their mindset was, what their attitude was. So I hope that there was a lesson for us in all of that. I hope that not only last Sunday, but again this morning, we would be able to kind of <laughs> evaluate ourselves. When I look at this area of scripture and in any time Jesus spoke to and about the Pharisees and scribes, I have to, I have to admit I see too much of myself in that. And, uh, and, it, and it bothers me greatly. One of the things we learned was that the publicans and sinners were drawn unto Jesus. They drew near unto Jesus. The publicans and sinners recognized their low estate. They were able to see their need where the Pharisees and scribes they did not see their need for a physician they looked on the publicans and sinners in fact with disdain they looked down on them as a lower class group of people let's go to verse 11 and pick up there verse 11 as we, and it's a very familiar place in Scripture, we often refer to this parable, if, if that's what it is, and I suppose it is, although it doesn't say it's a parable. But we often refer to it as the, the story of the prodigal son. The prodigal son. And so we're familiar with uh, this passage and with some of the lessons that Jesus teaches with this parable. But let's see what else we can learn, maybe something that we've not thought about before, something that is maybe applicable to us in a way that we haven't seen before. So that's, that's what I would desire of each one of us this morning. How does this apply to me? Rejoicing should always follow repentance. That's what some of these parables are about, really. Not only the need to repent, but the wonderful blessing of being able to rejoice. And not just rejoice within ourselves or rejoice personally upon our own personal repentance. That's a blessing. 
But it's also a blessing to be able to rejoice when we see others repent. And we ought to rejoice with them. So that's part of what's contained in the first ten verses of this chapter. Verse 11. This is Jesus speaking. He said, A certain man had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, Father, give me the portion of goods that falleth to me. And he divided unto them his living. And not many days after, the younger son gathered all together and took his journey into a far country and there wasted his substance with riotous living. Now I just want to pause there. Again, whether or not this is a parable, this story is about two sons. Not just the one, not just the prodigal son, and, and what is the prodigal? What does that mean? What does that word mean? You won't find that word in, in this passage or in Scripture anywhere, best I can find. The prodigal is simply a person who, who has gone out, who has left, and who has spent money, spent their um, possessions or whatever, recklessly, in a reckless manner. That's what a prodigal does. A prodigal is a person who is extravagantly wasteful. Let's just put it that way. But this story is about two sons, not just the one, not just the prodigal. The prodigal son gets most of the attention, and we know more about him, at least initially, than the other son. But we need to spend as much time, I think, learning something about the other son as, as much as we do the prodigal. This man had two sons, and the younger of them comes to his father and says, and, and demands, demands, Father, give me my portion. Give me my portion of your goods. In that day, that would have amounted to this younger son, this young boy, saying, Father, it would be just as well if you were dead. That's what the son is saying. Because, typically, a father would not have parted his goods to his sons until he, until it would, that would have taken place after he passed away. And his goods would have gone to his sons. They, they would have enjoyed that privilege. It would have been theirs rightfully, but only after he passed away. You can read accounts in the Old Testament more than once of a father on his deathbed pronouncing blessings upon his sons. And, and in that act and in that scene, that's when the, the, the possessions, that which belonged to the father, would have been passed along to the sons. And so the son, when he and the younger son at that, because... He didn't have the right to as much of the father's possessions as the older son would have. In fact, it's generally believed in that day and in that culture, the eldest son would have been uh, deserving of two-thirds of the, his father's possessions, at least twice as much as any other sibling or any other son. So here's this young son that at the most 
would have only had a third of his father's possessions coming to him after his father passed away, he comes to his father now and says, give me my portion. He would have been showing so much disrespect towards his father and basically saying, you might as well be dead. That gives us an idea of the attitude of this young son. This young son was much more interested in his father's possessions than he was in a relationship with his father. He wasn't interested in having a relationship with his father. He only wanted his father's goods. And he didn't want to stay in his father's house to enjoy his father's goods. He wanted to take his father's goods and leave and go to a far country and enjoy his father's possessions. So much disrespect shown by this young boy. Notice that the father did what his son asked him to do. He did what his, son, what, what his son asked him. He divided unto them. Notice very carefully because this is going to be important a little bit later. He divided. The father divided unto his two sons his living. He said, okay, my oldest son, two-thirds of what I have is yours. My young rebellious son... A third of it is yours. He divided unto them his living. This, this story, this parable, is not only about two sons, but I guess ultimately it's about the father. There's no indication here that the father began to rant and rave and, and tell this young boy how disrespectful he was, although he, he had a right to do something like that. There's no indication that the father even sat back and pleaded and begged for the son not to request what he was requesting and not to do what he was about to do. The father simply agreed, I will divide my living. All that I have, the father was saying, is now yours. It's yours to do with as you please. The father would have been enduring once he made that decision, probably some disrespect from others in the community, in the village, his associates, his friends, other fathers in the community. This father just lost their respect. This father was willing to put himself to shame, in other words, for the sake of his children, for the sake of those two sons. I just gained a great deal of respect for this father. And I feel sorry for him too. You fathers out there, you might can relate to some of this, or maybe you can't exactly relate to it, but you can think about what if your son, what if your child came to you in this manner. The father shows so much graciousness. Not that he was condoning or approving, of anything that this young son was demanding or doing. But he showed so much graciousness, patience. The younger son takes what the father has given him. It says that he went into a far country. He took his journey. He took what the father gave him, goes into a far country. And, 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 this, and this son has gone to a country not just far away geographically, this son has gone to a place that is far removed from
from daddy's house. And all that he once enjoyed, all that he was blessed to have, and all of what the father had taught him all of these many years. The reason we know that is because of how the son conducted himself when he got there to that far country. So he went to a place and began to engage in activities that were far removed from everything he had ever known and been taught. He was in a far country, a country far, far away. It says that when he got there, he wasted his substance in riotous living, riotous living. And if you're not sure about what that is, a little bit later on, his older brother will, will tell us that that riotous living included wasting his substance and spending his possessions and goods on harlots. And so that, that alone tells us the culture, not only the culture that the son placed himself in, but the, the surroundings, the surroundings that he placed himself in the people that he surrounded himself with. That tells us where and what this son was doing and all that probably went along with spending his substance on harlots. Riotous living. He was being recklessly indulgent, if I can put it that way. He was satisfying the sins of his flesh. And he was spending his father's goods to do so. Now, as you go along and, and, and read, just and it's pretty short, really, this story is, we, we need to take some time to, to maybe put ourselves back while we're reading about the son in a far country spending his substance on riotous living. We need to put ourselves back at home and just kind of try to imagine what the father was doing while his son was gone, what he was thinking, what he was feeling. Maybe the father's back there and now he's got some regrets. Maybe he's thinking, I should have said more, I should have done more, I should have stopped him, I should have whipped him, I should have done something. Maybe he's having regrets. Maybe not. Maybe the father was showing such, uh, th 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 this, this awesome virtue of, of patience and mercy, and mercy. You know, sometimes showing mercy and oftentimes showing love means that we, we go along or at least we don't prevent others from doing what we know is not going to be a good outcome. We know that the outcome is not going to be good, but we allow, we suffer it. Sometimes... That's how our love and mercy is, is shown. Especially it's so with our children at times. And it hurts. It's painful. Oh, me. Can you imagine? Now, back then, I, I don't know. Some of you have this on your phones, I'm sure. You know, some, uh, most of us in our family are, are in different groups on our, on our phones. We, we have this app, you know, and we're able to kind of see where everybody else is at. And it's thought that we're, you know, we're afraid somebody's going to be sneaking around on us and doing something. They're going somewhere they shouldn't go and do things like that. But it's kind of a safety, security type thing, you know. So th they didn't have that back then. This father had no idea where his son was. Oh, he had an idea probably 
the setting surrounding his son. He probably had an idea of what his son was doing, but he didn't know the exact place. He didn't know the exact situation. He, didn't, he couldn't look up on his phone and see you know, and track his son. He couldn't communicate with his son. He couldn't pick up the phone like we used to do and dial the number. He couldn't send a, a telegram. He couldn't even do Morse code. I mean, he couldn't do any of those things. He had no idea where his son was. Can you imagine? I cannot. And day after day, and as much patience and love and mercy, compassion, uh, graciousness that this father had in him, agonizing though night after night after night and day after day after day, not knowing where his son was. Was he in danger? Is he being threatened? Is he even alive? Now some of you can relate just a little bit because you may have gone a day or two or three or more without having any communication with your child. <laughs> Fortunately, some of that kind of thing has been gradual in our home and in our family where there used to be daily communication. Now there's still probably some daily text messages, but as far as, you know, real, genuine, uh, communi meaningful communication, that w there, there may be a few days go by before that happens. I can't imagine. I can't imagine not having any communication whatsoever with your child. For how long? I don't know. This man was probably fairly wealthy. Don't know how long it took, but this boy spent all of his father's inheritance, all of this inheritance, all of his father's good. He wasted his substance on riotous living. Don't know how long it took. It doesn't take long. <laughs> it doesn't take long when you spend your goods, when you spend your substance, when you spend your money on riotous living and following the ways of the world and entertaining yourself and fulfilling your flesh and the lust of your flesh, it doesn't take long to spend all that you have. You know what? The sooner the better for this son. <laughs> the sooner the better it would have been for him if he had spent all, spent all that he had in about two days. That would have been but I probably, I, I'm assuming it probably took a little longer than that. It says, when he spent all, verse 14, when he had spent all, there arose a mighty famine in that land, and he began to be in want. He began to be in want. You know, there's never a good time for a famine. There's never a good time for a famine, right? But wouldn't you know it, about the time this boy spent all that he had, here comes a famine. Here comes a famine. He hasn't prepared for that. He hasn't made plans for what's going to happen when he runs through all of his money. He's just out there riotous living and just living it up. Then there's a famine in the land. And, and, and while this boy has acclimated, if you will, he has become a part of the world. He has been swallowed up by the world. He just doesn't realize it. He's become a part of the world. And now there's a famine in the land. And who does he turn to? Who can he turn to for help? He has to turn to the world because that's what he's surrounded himself with. He doesn't have to. But he does initially. And when he turns to the world, when there's a, when there's a famine and he begins to be in want... 
he went and joined himself to a citizen of that country. The boy had been in the world long enough in this riotous living to where his initial reaction that when he needed some help, he turns to someone else in the world. But he turns to, to a citizen of that country. I think that's very interesting that Jesus pointed out that this boy, he, he turned to a citizen of that country. That gives me an indication that this boy was not a citizen of that country. You see what I'm saying? He was not a citizen of that country. He was just in that country. He was in a country and where he was in a place where he shouldn't have been, but he was acting like the citizens of that country. He was looking like the citizens of that country. And so when he began to be in want, he turned to another citizen of that country. And that citizen, the citizen of that country, sent him out into the field to feed his swine. This young Jewish boy who has spent all that he had living it up in the world finds himself now in want and now he finds himself in the field with the hogs. <laughs> in the hog pen feeding the swine. If he'd have been back home there'd have been no swine anywhere around <laughs> because that was just unlawful. They were dirty animals literally and and religiously in his home they were unclean he would have not even been touching the swine and now he's feeding them he's in the midst of the swine and when you leave your father's house when you leave the place where you belong and you go to a far country and you join yourself to a citizen of that far country that's where you wind up in the hog pen. That's where you wind up. How do you know that, Brother Matt? Because I've been there. I've been there. I know where the hog pen is. I know what it smells like. I know what it feels like. I know how dirty it is. I also know how lonely it is. I know how far away it is from the father's house. And so this boy, he's learning some lessons here, but he's learning it the hard way. He's learning it the hard way. Some lessons don't have to be learned the hard way, friends. My young friends, especially. You don't have to learn everything by experience. Some things you need to learn by the failures and experiences of others. Others who are willing to uh, expose themselves to recalling the shame and, and, and the loneliness that they experienced and share that with you to let you know and to help you see that's not a place where you want to go. But this boy learned some things the hard way. And he begins to be in such want, hungry, thirsty, tired, dirty. The world has consumed him. He has been consumed by the world. He looks like the world. He's acting like the world. And he looks at those swine and begins to desire to eat the, the thing that the swine, in fact, what's left over after feeding the swine, the husks 
that the swine did eat. The swine would eat it, but that wasn't the first item on the menu for the swine. These husks would have actually been left over, but the swine, they're going to eat it all up. You know, everything they can find, they're just going to eat it all up. But he looks at that, and if he could just eat the husks of the swine, he was in such want, such hunger, such need. Verse 16, he would fain have filled his belly with the husk that the swine did eat, and no man gave unto him. Now he's finding out how the world operates. He's finding out that the world doesn't really care about him. He's finding out that the citizens of this far country, this place where he voluntarily placed himself, this place that's far, far away from his father's house, this place where not long ago there was a lot of seemingly happy people around and we were having a good time and everybody seemed to like me pretty good and had a lot of friends and we hung out and, and everything was seemed, seemed to be going pretty good. But then hard times hit and, and it's just gotten worse and worse and worse and I've just been going further and further and further down and now there's no one. No one will help me. I thought we were friends. I thought we had each other's back. I thought you cared about me. I thought these citizens would, would help me, protect me. No man gave to him. Because that's the way of the world. The further you get away from the Father's house, the fewer people care about you. The further you get away from the Father's house, the fewer people who genuinely care about you. And when he came to himself, verse 17, I'm so thankful it gets better. And when he came to himself, he looked at his situation. And that the very expression literally means when he left one place, and we're talking about the heart and mind, when he, le when he, when he left this one place and came to another place, there was a change that took place. <laughs> when he came to himself, he began to remember what he had back at the father's house. He remembered that even, even the hired servants back there, those that he probably didn't have much to do with when he was there, but they were taken care of even. His father took good care of him. He took good care of the hired servants. The father was, was so gracious and compassionate and such a great provider. And he had everything that he wanted back at the father's house and he begins to remember he remembers how well he had it. And he, re he remembers those hired servants. Even they had enough. And even more than that. There was more than enough at his father's house. And here I am. I perish with hunger. I'm in such great need. This is about to come to an end. Literally. I'm at the end of the road, and if I go much further, I am going to die. Have you been there? I've seen the end of that road. I can't tell you whether I was, how close I was to it, but I've seen the end of it. The end has been in view. It's a frightening place. It's a frightening view. You're not alone on that road, but you might as well be. Because everybody else on that road, all they can focus on is the end. They don't care about you. 
They're just trying to figure out how they're going to survive and keep from going, keep from experiencing that, that end that is near. They don't care about you. It's a lonely place. This boy comes to himself and he says this. He says, I will arise and go to my father. Finally, son, finally you're going to turn to the right place, the right source. You're going to turn in the right direction. You're going to go to where you know somebody is going to care for you. Somebody's going to provide for you. Finally, son. And he says, I will arise and go to my father and I will say unto him, Father, I have sinned against heaven. Repentance is good for the soul. And every, it doesn't matter what sin it is, the first person that you have sinned against is God Almighty. Every sin we ever commit is first against the Father. He, he says, against, uh, uh, Father, I have sinned against heaven, your heavenly Father. Now this boy sinned against his earthly Father as well. But when we sin, we sin against God. We sin against the ultimate provider of all things good, both spiritually and naturally. The father confesses that he, I mean the son confesses that he has sinned against heaven. He is, he is rehearsing in his mind what he's going to say to his father when he goes back. He's going to say, and I'm no more worthy to be called thy son. This boy's had a change of heart. He's had a change of mind. He knows that he has disrespected his father to such extent that he, have, he has forfeited his privilege to even be considered his son. And he's willing to accept the consequences. Boy, that's a sign of repentance there for sure. When you are willing to accept your consequences, that's a sign of repentance. That's a sign of humility. That's a sign that you've, you've recognized your failure, your sin, the, the people you have wronged, you, you, you accept the consequences. And the boy was willing to accept the consequences of his sin. He just wanted to go back to the father's house. Even if it meant he would be a hired servant. And that's what he's going to ask his daddy. Can I just, can I just come back? I'll come back as a hired servant. I know I forfeited my privilege of being called your son, but can I come back? I'll just be your servant. I won't expect any more privileges. I'll, I'll work for my wages. You just give me a, a roof over my head and food to eat. I'll come back as a servant. And so he arose and came to his father. But when he was yet a great way off, his father saw him. What a beautiful scene. When the son was afar, when he was still a great way off, his father saw him. Because his father was looking for him. The father spent his time day and night looking for his son to return. Day after day, the father goes out every morning and looks across the hills. Every evening, waiting for any sign of his return. His father was looking for him. 
And when his father saw his son a great way off, his father ran to his son. He ran to him. And his son tries to get the words out, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in thy sight I'm no more worthy to be called your son. And his father just pretty much ignores him and he says, Bring the fatted calf. <laughs> put a robe on this boy's back. Put a ring on his finger. Put shoes on his feet. My son, which was dead, is alive. My son, which was lost, is found. Kill the fatted calf and let's rejoice. The first thing the father does is rejoice because he sees his son returning home and he sees him in repentance. And he's, he's rejoicing because, first of all, his son's alive because he's wondered that for, for days and days and perhaps weeks and months. And he runs on him. And the very neck that was so stubborn and stiff neck, now the father's kissing. <laughs> he did. He embraces his son and kisses his neck. That stubborn, rebellious boy that took, took all of his inheritance and wasted it. The father knows. He knows what's been going on. So they bring in the fatted calf. They kill it. Let us eat and be merry. And they began to be merry. Now, as this other boy now, this other boy, shame on this young son. Shame on him. The father didn't shame him. Got a pretty good idea the father's going to sit down and have a serious talk with him pretty soon. But the first thing the father does is rejoice. The first thing the father does is extend his mercy and grace, compassion and love. Isn't that how your heavenly father does? Oh, there's consequences. The boy knew there was going to be consequences. The boy was willing to accept those consequences. And I can just imagine that um, it's been your experience, I know it's been mine, that I have imagined the worst consequences that could ever come because of my sin. And, and the father has fallen far short, if I can put it that way in administering those consequences that I was expecting. And thank God he does. Out of his mercy and grace. So this older boy, he's out there. He's hearing all this noise. He's not in the house. He's outside somewhere. And he, and he hears all this making merry. And one of, his, one of the servants is nearby. And he asks his servants, what's going on? His servant says, your, your brother, I, I want to read this. Verse 27, thy brother is come. The servant says to the older boy, Thy brother is come. Thy father hath killed the fatted calf because he hath received him safe and sound. Repentance should bring rejoicing, but not with that older boy. When the older boy hears what's happened, that his brother has returned, and that's what all this merrymaking is about, he becomes angry. He's angry. Why is he angry? Shouldn't that be a time of rejoicing if your brother, your sister returns home? You've wondered for days and weeks and months if they're even alive. You've, you've prayed, you've worried, you've made yourself sick. Well, that's what the father's been doing. I get the idea that this older brother has not been doing those things. The older boy, he didn't go out looking for his younger son. The older boy, you know what the older boy's been doing? He's been sitting back and his house with indignation just boiling up in his heart. 
And he's angry. He's angry. And he would not go in to participate in all of the merrymaking because he was so angry. He was angry at his younger brother, but he was angry at the father too. He was angry at his dad for doing all this for that wayward, rebellious boy. Didn't matter that he was back. Didn't matter that he repented. Didn't matter about any of that. Didn't matter that we thought he was dead, but now he's alive. He's angry. Why is he so angry? His father comes out and entreats him. <laughs> I love this father. <laughs> he comes out and he puts his arm around that boy. Son, what's wrong? Why are you so angry? He entreats him. He brings him right up next to him, literally. And he begins to try to comfort him, try to instruct him, try to encourage him, try to explain to him. The father shows this graciousness that he has. He showed it one way to his wayward, rebellious, stubborn youngest son. But now he's showing it in a different way but still his graciousness and love and mercy and compassion towards his older boy. Don't you love this father? Don't you have a father like this? Your heavenly father is so gracious. Our heavenly father is he's so compassionate. He is so long-suffering. He's long-suffering when I go out and join myself to a citizen of the far country. He's long-suffering when I go out and I waste all of my substance on riotous living. He is long-suffering when I sit back with indignation and think that that boy shouldn't have ever done that to begin with. And look at me, I've done such a good job. I've been here obedient all of this time. Father, you've never done any of this for me. The father is long-suffering then as well. You see, now remember... This whole scene, as Jesus is giving these parables, this whole scene was to draw this contrast between the Pharisees and scribes and the publicans and sinners. And here we have an older boy and a younger boy, but it's the same principle. It's the same lesson. It's the same contrast. And so the older boy is indignant. And he says, Father, I, I've, I've served you all these years. I've not been doing any of this. I, I've, I've stayed here at home. I've been obedient to you. You never gave me a kid that I might make marry with my friends. Something to think about. You might have to read this into the narrative a little bit, but think, something to think about. The father divided his living to these boys. Technically, legally speaking, all of the father's belongings now, all of his possessions, all of his good, all of his substance is now his boys. When the younger boy comes back, what did the father just do? He called to, to kill the fatted calf. Well, technically, legally, that belonged to the older boy now. So did the robe and so did the ring and so did the shoes. Everything the father had, he had already divided to his sons. He's given away the older boy's stuff to this younger boy. <laughs> Legally speaking, no wonder that older boy, no wonder he's indignant, right? No wonder he's angry. And I've been here obedient to you all this time, and now you're giving my stuff away <laughs> to someone that is undeserving. Oh, wow. 
The boy said, as soon as, this thy, as soon as this thy son, didn't even recognize him, didn't even acknowledge that this boy was his brother. He says to his father, as soon as this thy son, not as soon as this my brother, but as soon as this thy son was come, which he had, which he had devoured thy living with harlots. Thou hast killed for him the fatted calf. And the father so graciously, so compassionately, so mercifully says, son, thou art ever with me. You've always been with me. You're with me now. You will ever, always be with me. And all that I have is thine. It was meat. It was right. It was proper. It was appropriate. It was meat that we should make merry and be glad. That expression literally is used in a couple of other places. It was meat. That expression is used to indicate how right and proper it is to respond with great joy and celebration when one sinner repents. Great joy, great celebration. What a gracious father we have, long-suffering, so patient. Whether you've been out there in the world in that far country, whether you've stayed at home with, with anger building up in you, jealousy, whatever it might be, our father is so long-suffering. When one sinner, when one person, when you repent, when I repent, when I change my ways, when I change my actions, when I change my mind because my heart's been changed already, when I change my ways to harmonize with the change of heart that God has wrought within, when I do that, heaven responds. Heaven rejoices. So should we. Thank you again for listening. Rocky Mount Church is a primitive Baptist congregation located near Arab, Alabama. We invite you to look us up on the web at rockymountpbc.org. That's rockymountpbc.org. You'll find various resources there on our website, as well as additional links to other primitive Baptist sites. You'll find contact information there, and we would love to hear from you. You can find us on Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Thank you again for listening. We look forward to the next opportunity we can spend some time together. May the Lord bless you is our prayer. Amen.